Oh yeah. She's like, okay, tomorrow we're gonna cook this dinner. Breakfast, I have this. She gets a f- fridge fully stocked. Mm-hmm. I, I, always think- la- I always laugh when you go to the relatives' house that don't give a fuck, and they're like, and you get there, and they're and you're like, thinking like, oh, she gives her breakfast. And they're like, <laughs> <laughs> Why are we are we talking about this? Is it gone right now? Oh, I just started. Oh yeah. So it's always funny when you're like visiting relatives because you have some you have two types of relatives. You have relatives that like overly prepare for you mm-hmm. that. They will go grocery stop shopping, stock the fridge, have everything ready for you. They'll have meals planned. Now, even if you had no plan right. on like eating there or like in the morning, I, I just remember that as a kid, and maybe even as an adult, you have those relatives. And then you also have those relatives that just don't have, give two fucks about you being <laughs> there. And so, like, you'll wake up and you're thinking, like, and I think it's always more, it's even funnier when you're surprised by the ones that you're thinking, like, oh, they're going to be fully stocked. Mm-hmm. They're going to have all this stuff. And then you wake up in the morning and there's, like, nothing. Like, well, there might be some cereal left. I don't know. And then you go to them and you're like, like oh, do y'all have, like, juice or cereal? And they're like, oh, I think I have something. And they, like, look and they're like, yeah. Um, I got I, some tap water. I have some orange <laughs> juice and stuff like <laughs> This milk might be good. I don't know. <laughs> and then the parents are like, oh, we'll just go, we'll just get breakfast or something. Or like, you know, your parents have to like whip something up in, mm-hmm. in, with what they have, with that relative, what that relative has in their kitchen and stuff like that. It's always interesting. And then I think <laughs> as you age, you sort of see like where certain adults are, you know, in your family of where you have like, oh, I don't know. I, I, I find myself. Being more that relative that, yes, like I mentioned before in the past, I have an expiration date. But those two days that you're there, <laughs> you're getting, like, endless amounts of juice, water. Getting taken care of. Yeah, all that. Um, but when the time not, expires, you got to go. Yeah, because you're not going to put me through the family grapevine talking about, oh, I, can't, I went to his house and he didn't have this. <laughs> no. You're not going to put me through the family grapevine on that stuff. So... Uh, it's always interesting to to travel because, you know, like I said, you have those relatives that had all mm-hmm. those robust lists that everything. And the part that made me laugh even more is when your parents would, like, mysteriously come up with things that you're like, you don't make that for us when mm-hmm. when we're, when it's just us. They're like, I'm going to make this. I'm going to make that. I'm like, wait, what? what? You know how to make that? You, but... <laughs> Mm, I see how it is. Yeah. I see how it is. And then I've had those situations where I was traveling and staying with a friend or something. Mm-hmm. And like, not dropping names, but uh, I was staying a weekend at uh, at someone's apartment while shooting. Mm-hmm. And I walk in and my first thought is, you live like this? Mm-hmm. And it was the pets had full reign of the house. Mm-hmm. And it was just pet hair everywhere and you know carpet stains mm. and i'm like oh no 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 yeah we talked about that the the ring of death i look at the floor the bathroom and the kitchen but on that note bathroom was spotless it was i guess that's the one place that they didn't allow their pets hmm. and on that note welcome to throw champagne season two series two depending on where you live Hosted by Thomas Massaquire. 
Executive produced by Tyler Golly. Music by Chris Wagner. We are back in studio for the first time. It's been almost, not a year, but I mean, we took... It's been like six months. We took six months off because why not? Yeah. Why not? We're back, though. Had to get get some more experiences built up to talk about and dissect and all that. A lot has happened. Um, But, you know, we don't want to stay too much on the recent past. I think we should focus in more so on what I've possibly been watching because it reminds me a lot of my youth. I recently watched the Miss Cleo documentary on HBO Max and I would say that it was very insightful. Um, Miss Cleo in the nineties was everywhere, uh, was everywhere, like everywhere on late night. Call me now. Spoofs were happening, Mm -hmm. you know, to explain what because the, what we look at with like social media now everything was related to television because this was also before the internet was the culture yeah. like internet was more so used yes the internet was around but it wasn't like the culture there was no smartphones no you know um i didn't know any person under the age of like 18 or 20 that had a cell phone to begin with mm. um Internet was still dial-up. Mm-hmm. You'd have to wait 30 seconds for a whole one web page to just slowly mm-hmm. load from the top down. Yeah. And so, yeah, you were you were intaking all of your media, the majority of it, either through, you know, the radio or primarily television. Mm-hmm. And depending on what time of day you were watching, you had different types of commercials. Yes. You know, middle of the day, they're showing reruns of The Munsters. Uh, and there's lawyer commercials and medication commercials, mm-hmm. old people stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you have like prime time mm-hmm. where you have, you know, Ford and things like that, regular commercials. But then we get to like 8 or 9 p.m. And I'd then, say after 9, yeah. That's when we started to get the infomercials that yeah. were like very targeted. Mm-hmm. Um, romance future um these uh albums that they were like the album collections oh yeah so <laughs> what was the what was the one you you get 12 cds for a penny yeah it was like it was all i remember is the songs that would be playing and i i i think everybody kind of i think depending on your age like it was like all those like R&B, quiet, mm-hmm. jazz. Kenny G was always in rotation on that. Um, but this Great, before, greatest love songs. Greatest love songs. This was before again iTunes and stuff like that. So people would compile there's these CDs, so they would have these infomercials targeted at people. And so Miss Cleo came out of nowhere, where she was more so that friend. That could give you that sass of like your future. Mm-hmm. And mind you, in the 90s, psychics. She was a card reader, right? Yes. Read the cards. Yes. But mind you, psychics were big in the 90s. Like TV shows, talk shows, every talk show had some form of like a medium on their team. I think psychics. I remember Montel had like, oh, yeah. uh, what was her name? Montel. Sylvia. I remember mm-hmm. Sylvia 
was <laughs> shot, Sylvia's gone now. How did you are gone now? But Sylvia would sit there with her smoker's voice and her long nails, and she'd be on Montel. She'd be like, hmm. <laughs> I'm seeing something. And she'd be like, and it was like, but I just remember Sylvia looked like that neighbor down the street that always smoked Marlboros. Never and, ashed the cigarette. Yes, yes. <laughs> and you didn't know what she did, but when she told you she was a psychic, you were like, hmm. Hmm. Bullshit. And then she would read you. And that's what it was. Well, I think it's funny. Because you you said they were big in the 90s, and then it hit me that I think that's a profession, quote-unquote, that has always been popular. You can go back to, like, in um, the Victorian age, every dinner party, they'd have, like, a seance reading, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's popular, but, I mean, but when you're talking about, like, when it became, like, very mainstream, mm-hmm. like, when you're talking about, yeah, it's, it's always been... How many palm readers, businesses, can you think of that have always been there? Oh, I mean, I don't want to call out the city we're in, but there's this one street um, that used to have all these card readers. You think of the right by the bar that I was managing? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Growing up, everybody that grew up, we all know that one street that had like all those card readers lined up, like on that main road or in that area. Um, they probably have like two left still over there, maybe three. But there used to be like a deep, like I'm talking about, yeah, deep on that area. So it was the psychic district. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was you know, so Miss Cleo became sort of like, I mean, the 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 be- face of it, the Beyonce, yeah. of like mediums. Where you talk about like. The commercials were just running, 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 running all the time. Any channel. Yes. And I will personally say, and people can people can maybe challenge this, but I do remember one time I caught her accent slip as a kid. Oh, the accent. And, and I was like, oh, she's not really from Jamaica. But I think, but the thing about it is most, and this is where people have, um, split on her mm-hmm. people of color and primarily people that are africa Af- from africa and the caribbean knew she was not where she said she was from right people that weren't normally believe because you know they just can't break down Mid- some, middle america yeah they're nobody, not gonna, yeah they're how not many gonna, jamaicans have you met yeah they're not gonna be able to break that down so there was one time i was like oh this lady is not where she says she's from because she literally sounded like she was from Somewhere else, but it definitely wasn't Jamaica. Mm-hmm. And so, over time, you know, the the rumor mill started running, and then finally she got pro- well. The company she worked for got pinched by you know, and indicted and mm-hmm. stuff like that. And so all that came transparent. And because, by the way, if if people don't know how these phone, these call in uh, services worked back then is there was a connection fee. There was a uh, fee by the minute. Yeah. And then there were also hidden fees. Yes. And the longer you stayed on the phone call, the higher that bill got racked up and went to your your phone bill. So much hidden fees, because, again, back then the way to get to people was very narrow. Mm-hmm. So hidden fees were astronomical in terms of your telephone, 
television because there were channels sometimes that if you ordered from through cable or satellite, like you ordered it, it was expensive. Yeah. And so, and I'm still trying to figure out sometimes how they could charge you because now in a modern age, like we know how to track that. Back then I'm like, for them to rack up those fees just so easily on people. But again, the, the options were smaller. I mean, we are both men of a certain age and we both grew up in a time where massive media information or the national media information was only 10 sources, three channels and a few newspapers. And that was it. Now you have, I mean, if if you, if you had like cable, which was expensive back then, but you, we're talking about like, but I'm talking about like, yeah, on a national average, mm-hmm. we're talking about 10. So you talk about three basic television channels. Right. And then you had maybe two, three primary cable news channels. So that's six. Mm-hmm. And then you talk about maybe um, four national circulated newspapers that everybody got mm-hmm. at the time. Um, but there was no more than 13 national sources of information that we could all collect. So the, 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 the information that we were getting was either consistent or universal on, right. the, on, on that. Um, not how it is now where everybody has up to, you know, a hundred different sources of, of news information mm-hmm. available to them at their tips. And you're also finding with things like um, Twitter or there's this, there's a uh, Substack mm-hmm. is a place where writers yeah. of any kind can, it's an OnlyFans, but for writers. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of journalists that are leaving the bigger organizations, becoming independent journalists. And not having a bias that their employer gave them or mm-hmm. told them to work within. Mm-hmm. So every day there's, there's new and more avenues of information that we're getting. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, essentially she got aired out, got discovered. And um, she lost every, well, she didn't really have anything to begin with. Because they didn't pay her a lot. They didn't pay her. But... She, what you would have thought that she would, she had made a lot of money. She did, mm-hmm. and um, her reputation really didn't recover after that. She almost became like a national joke, mm-hmm. and that's not, and that's not saying it to be disrespectful to her. It's that's just kind of what it was like after that uh, being aired out, and then you know the fact that people, some people don't care about her past. Some people overwhelmingly believe that she was a scammer and she had a long history of scamming people. Um, and so the even the notion after the fact that it was aired out, like they showed her birth certificate and everything and she was not born in Jamaica. She, they had an interview with her. I think the, one of the last big circulated interviews for her for, for a project that was shown in the documentary. She mm. still was writing that Jamaican accent. Really? Yes, in 2012. Wow. And so I was like, oh, okay. And she's still alive. No, she died of cancer. Mm. Um, I think 2018. Okay. Um, but again, you know, she came out. Good for her. At towards the end of her life. Uh, but also the fact of where um, she was working within the black theater community 
And they even said, like, this Miss Cleo persona was based on a play that she wrote that nobody wanted to produce. produce. And she created this, and it was a secondary character, like an off character that she was going to play in her own play. Mm-hmm. And then for some reason, she it became it came to life within, you know, this psychic network and this, and this company that she had somehow gotten connected with. Uh, but these, this black theater community, when they saw the commercial, they're like, that's so-and-so. <laughs> we know her. We know, we know we, that character. We know, we know her. And so, <laughs> and so that's what I'm saying. It goes back to the fact that like, you could clearly tell in the documentary, like, um, most of her biggest defenders, most of the people that really didn't care, mm-hmm. that rallied behind her, um, were non-black people, um, or African American, or people in 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 um, in the diaspora, and then a lot of the people that had like an opinion. And then the thing that was even more interesting was that I, towards the end of her life, and I don't know this for sure, but based on what I saw the documentary, mm-hmm. she didn't really affiliate with people of the black African. Caribbean community at all and I don't know it could have been for numerous reasons but it seems as though like her most safe space secure space were people that were not of that background for her and I don't know if it was the fact that she could keep up that persona better with them she could yeah keep writing the uh the The, grift yeah the yeah um and so I found that quite interesting because you know sometimes it's possible you create a character for so long that you actually believe it, that mm-hmm. that's your story now. Yeah. You know? And when you believe that that's your value, you know, mm-hmm. that's how you try to survive. It's for, it's for, it's a survival mechanism. You uh, typecast yourself. Yes. But I feel like we're running on this Cleo thing for too long. Um, <laughs> it's only I, been 18 minutes. But, you know, the, I think something to also reconcile that we experienced was, like, late-night TV shows as a kid. When right. reruns of MASH came on, or I knew Nick it was bedtime. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think for Gen Z, it was George Lopez. For us, it was MASH. Mm-hmm. What's crazy is, so, yeah, Nick at Night. Oh, Nick at Night. Oh, but you had all these shows from the '60s and '70s that our parents watched. So our Nick at Night is not the same as Gen Z. Nick no. at Night for us was Taxi, Mary Tyler Moore, mm-hmm. Welcome Back, Cotta, Get Smart, Get Smart, um, Dick Van Dyke, mm-hmm. I Love Lucy, um, Rhoda. Shout out to people that know what Rhoda is. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the Jeffersons, all that stuff. Whereas I think a lot of Gen Z, their Nick at Night was um, uh, George Lopez. Friends, uh, Seinfeld. Um, and what is the Damon, the Damon Wayne show? Um, that he did himself or in Living he, Color? No, Damon Wayne's, it was his show with, oh. uh, with um, Tisha Campbell. It was she played his wife. I'm gonna Google this. It was a family show. Damon. Yeah, uh, Damon Wins and Tisha Campbell. Um, they that I see. I do remember seeing that show on Nick at Night. Um, but anyway, 
uh, it just kind of shows you the the difference. But then there was like this this graveyard of TV shows that would play like really late at night when you knew it's time for you to go to bed. Because again, just reminding people, we did not have the internet the way that it was. We mm-hmm. did not have as many robust channels in the average American home as comparative to where you have like over a thousand channels, all these different sources. No, that wasn't it. So the graveyard shows were Perry Mason, MASH, mm-hmm. Twilight Zone. Do you remember uh, how wildly different the History Channel was? Yes. And oh, also, um, the Andy Griffin show was also mm-hmm. another graveyard show. Uh, Petticoat said, Junction. Yes. Um, when you're talking about channels, yeah, like the Learning Channel, TLC, it was actually the Learning Channel. Well, it's um, funny, like, <laughs> late night history channel back then was, hey, here's a bunch of stuff about World War II and Nazis. Yeah. Constant. Yeah. Now it's reruns of uh, Swamp People and aliens. Yeah. Yeah. Aliens and stuff like yeah. that. And, they weren't producing their own half-hour content back then. Mm-hmm. They hadn't stepped into that. And now it's all reality-assisted television. Well, also the thing about it is that content back then made was significantly different now. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know if it would be possible, but it's crazy to think that the era that we're in, the amount of content studios have to produce on because of streaming services mm-hmm. like when you think about like every week netflix is dropping something new every week um and you're talking about if the if the company is actually behind the production people can add things that they want and i know in the podcast space that's different but what i'm talking about is like netflix amazon um hbo max some are not as bountiful as netflix right but Still, when you think about where we were in terms of prime time, they literally networks could literally drop one, two, maybe three shows a season, mm-hmm. a season, and that was it. And that was then, good. And that was that was it. Imagine if they had to drop shows every week. Well, and think of it like I'm talking about like a whole season. Yeah, within a week, within one week, and then you do it again next week, and the next week, and the week after that. Yes. You also have the fact that, like, when it was a channel, primarily, it stayed within a very small range of genre. Mm-hmm. You know, History Channel, just history shows, Yeah. right? Something like Prime or Netflix, they're having to drop content in every single genre. Yeah. Regularly, on, on time, you know? Mm-hmm. So they're, they're producing their own stuff. They're also buying up stuff mm-hmm. that's been made and needs distribution. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, it's wild. Crazy times we're in. People, people ask me, hey, have you seen this show? And I'm like, I haven't even heard of it. Yeah. I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. Somebody, oh, recently I was talking to this girl and she's like, have you seen 1899? And I was like, yeah, the Tim McGraw thing, the cowboy that I've seen a couple no, of. She's like, no, 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 no. That's on another one. The, yeah. yeah. And that's 1882 or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was like, no, I've never even heard of this show. Hmm. Yeah, there's so many different TV shows that it becomes exhausting mm-hmm. for for you, and you sometimes can get overwhelmed. But I know for some people that love content, it's great for them. They're in heaven. Yeah, you know, I do know during COVID, like we all were loving streaming services because it was it was the only thing that was keeping us like, and the internet thrived. Oh yeah, on 
the amount of stuff that we, I mean, Tiger King would have never worked outside of COVID. Mm-mm. Never. Tiger King would have never worked outside of COVID. But we were all stuck at home and we we're like, are y'all seeing this shit? Oh, did you hear that they uh, found what's her name's husband? Yes. Alive? Alive. In Costa Rica or something. Yes. Living his best life. Yes. <laughs> so it's like all these different things that like happen or accumulate with people. Mm-hmm. So interesting. Well, people often are like, you should watch this. And I'm like, I don't have time in my life to watch what I want to watch, mm. let alone take on something new. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's five seasons of it. No, I can't. Mm. I can't get invested in that. I'm the type of person that if I do watch something, I like to watch it all the way through. So I am a typical Aries. Once I start, I want to mm-hmm. I want to get through it because I unless just, if I'm interested in it, if I'm not interested, I'm normally out within the first episode. So there are like shows that are in my queue that mm-hmm. literally I started. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm not. And then what's crazy thing about it is when they drop the new season, I just pick up from the new season and watch the recap. Because remember, I'm like, this, this, this shit is stupid. I'll pick up this. I'll pick up the next season if it comes back. And yeah, I get it. I'll be interested at that point. It's like recently, I finally watched Breaking Bad start to finish, and then I was like, okay, I need a break. And I'm like, oh, but there's a movie, so I watched the movie, and then I was like, oh, there's Better Call Saul, so I watched. I never got a Better Call Saul. I enjoyed it more than Breaking Bad because it was there was comedy in it, but. I get to the final episode on Netflix and there's a cliffhanger and I realize they don't have the, the last season on Netflix. Mm-hmm. So now I have to wait until whenever to watch so those. they buy that or yeah. whatever. Hmm. So I got, I got shafted on that a little bit. I just wanted to wrap it up and move on they with move my on life. With life. Yeah. <laughs> well, if the conversation came around the riverbend, you were like, you know what? We can talk about it. Mm-hmm. Some people, they don't like spoilers. I don't care. I would prefer not to have something spoiled. Oh, I don't care. Like, if it's a movie that I want to see, I, I'll stay off the internet until I go see the movie. Oh, no, I don't care. I would, I don't care because if I'm going to watch, I'm going to watch it. And, mm-hmm. I, and honestly, there's not a lot of films that, I'm, that you can catch me off where I'm like, oh, I didn't see that coming. They kind of tell you a little bit because I think... A lot of time they like to, especially when you know they're going to recap how mm-hmm. they reveal the big reveal. But yeah. That's one of those things. Also, a poorly made trailer can give away twists. Mm-hmm. And there's things like, um, like I'll, I've seen trailers and then talk to somebody that's seen the movie and I'm like, well, obviously this happens. And they're like, how, how would you know that? I'm like, it's in that minute 50 trailer I just saw. And mind you, a lot of times, and I know that with a lot of these trailers, like, it's not the directors and producers producing the trailer. No, there's companies that... There's, there's, it's a marketing company that's doing Exactly. It. So, and there's certain parameters they're working within mm-hmm. with the trailer, but they test to see, like, what's going to capture the people's eyes, what are, what's a pivotal scene that they can give away that's, like, that they can show in this that's mm-hmm. going to catch people's eyes who are key characters that really sell well within that market. Um, you know, the thing that's crazy is sometimes people who have talked about this in the past is depending on especially where you have an ensemble cast, depending on what country it's being released in, they will focus on that actor more than, than that. So, like, for example, I think it was um, one film where... I think there was all these couples that were on a retreat. I forgot the name of it. 
but two of the actors were black, but they weren't well known. And this is a comedy, right? Yes. Uh, I know exactly what movie you're talking but the, about. But, but Face on Love was one of the characters in, mm-hmm. that, in, in that. But that's but because he wasn't famous, quote unquote, in that market, they kind of slashed him from the marketing, mm-hmm. and he took heart to that now. Took umbrage with it. Yeah, I, I don't. I have. I I do agree that you know when it comes to race and stuff like that, that's not cool. But you know there have been situations where like in certain markets, like if you're a bigger star and you're in an ensemble cast, they're going to try to sell that film on that with that star, right? You know, primarily even though the star, like another case in point. I don't want people to come at me, but like Zendaya with Dune. Zendaya was in that film less than seven minutes. Mm-hmm. Total, I would say her total time on the movie was less than eight minutes. Yeah. Less than eight minutes collectively. But the marketing and everything suggested that she was like there. Like mm-hmm. she was there. And she even said, I only shot like two weeks and I'm so lucky that they let me in it- at the last at the last few minutes. And you know, yada yada yada. She's like, I, you know, she's like, they already had their chemistry. She's like, I was kind of nervous, and so, and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But you could clearly tell that the marketing, because to be honest, she's the biggest female actress in Gen Z. Right. She's the female. She's the biggest Gen Z actress in the world. Right. She is hands down. Timothy Chalamet is the biggest Gen Z actor in the world. Yeah. No, he is. Is he? Yeah. I mean, who else? Is bigger than him. Gen Z. Gen Z. He's the biggest for his his um, the amount of work he's done. Yes, he's the biggest male. He's the biggest film star, mm-hmm. male film star in the world in terms of Gen Z. Yeah, and Zendaya is the biggest female star mm-hmm. in Gen Z. We were talking about like just pure films and like popularity and like. All that. I I would want to give it to Tom Holland, but Tom Holland is primarily known for Spider-Man. That, that's ex- So I was thinking of him, but then I was like, well, other than Spider-Man, He's what films other- can I name off the top of my head? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't. I'm uh, Cherry, but I think, but that was kind of, you know, again, that was a, kind of like an indie film. Mm-hmm. But again, that's what I'm talking about, like, just the, the you know, how people view them so anyway they the marketing she was all over the place oh, yeah. like they had her at the forefront having having never seen the uh first movie from the 80s and having never read the book i have i've, I've seen to sting who who wasn't even a character in the book um the producers were like just put sting in there but if you look at sting in that film he looks like oh a yeah typical 80s rock star anyway um but like I, i've seen bits and pieces of it never watched it all the way through so i don't I didn't know the story. So having seen the trailer, I assumed Zendaya was going to be in like half the movie at least. At least. And then she shows up in the fifth act. She was in the film for less than eight minutes. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing about it is that you, I mean, they say she's going to play a bigger role in, this, in part two. Yeah. Which I get that. And she's also had, she's also filming Euphoria at the same time. You know, to be fair, Warner Brothers produced both films. So, I mean, both 
projects, so it made sense it was in-house. Mm-hmm. She's their biggest talent on their roster, so of course they're going to bring out their biggest person to help push one of their bigger projects. You know, Euphoria is the biggest TV show. Mm-hmm. We're gonna, She's doing one of our biggest movies. You know, she was going to get that time off. She was going to get oh, that yeah. time off. She's like, oh, I'm so thankful they gave me the time off. It's the same studio. They're going to make it work. They're going to make that work for you. They were going to make that work for you because they wanted (laughs) to make that money. Yeah. So it's just interesting to see, like, when when you're looking at that dynamic of where, you know, some people get pushed in, some people get pushed out. You know, um, and seeing the the different plays that they do over time. Now the, 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 the way they market projects are completely different they, they can't they can't be as because like we said but with the course of the internet the the internet's open mm-hmm. so you have to be more consistent or you can't be so like if you release something in another country that could be offensive or start a conversation in another you have to be conscious of that Right. So now companies are definitely more so like, oh, yeah, we can't. Like, they could get away with that in the 90s. They can get away with that in the early 2000s where they could release something in the catacombs of another country and it would never see the light of day over here. Right. Um, but no, they can't do that anymore. Artists could do the same things. Musicians could release singles in other countries that we would never hear in the United States and they would bask in it as cheesy as it was or as, you know, people would make fun of it on the radio here. Not anymore. Oh, how many times have you gone to a uh, CD or record store mm-hmm. that does like secondhand stuff mm-hmm. and you find an album mm-hmm. that you've never heard of from a band or an artist that you like mm-hmm. and it's like, this is the Japanese release. Only available in Europe. Yeah. Or the European release. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because again, markets are different. You know, sometimes you can do certain things over there that you couldn't do over here. I love watching commercials A big... Uh, celebrities like when I saw Leonardo DiCaprio's Japanese commercials oh, yeah. in the early 2000s late 90s and I was like oh this is so interesting because he really didn't do commercials here in the United States no um, I mean there's I've seen on YouTube uh, just like compilations of A-list celebrities mm-hmm. doing commercials in other countries in Europe in Japan and it's for like a candy bar or a whiskey or mm-hmm. something that they wouldn't be caught dead filming and airing in America. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it's kind of cheesy depending on where it is. Mm-hmm. It is. So it's interesting. It is interesting where we're at with that. So yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> True facts. True facts. Nostalgia and all that. Hmm. So what are you looking forward to this year? Um, I got an interesting new job that I started training for yesterday. Mm. Irrigation. Mm. Blue collar. Mm. Which I never thought I would do, but my friend owns a company. It's six months of work, because that's the season. Um, And then you have six months off, and the pay is incredibly good. So... I kind of compared it to what I was making as a working in marketing. And I was like, this is physical work, which I can do, but like mentally it's a lot easier work. Mm -hmm. And um, then I have six months to just pursue anything I want to pursue, Mm -hmm. which is going to be fun. 
Um, so that'll give me a lot more free time and capital to invest into my creative projects and stuff and travel, things like that. Word. 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 That's awesome. Yeah. That sounds good. Sounds, sounds good. That sounds good. What about you? Um, mind my business for the most part, continuing that effect. Um, really just enjoying the company of people. Mm-hmm. Um, enjoying my money, enjoying my time, enjoying, yeah, just, I mean, I don't know what better way to say that, but just continue to manifest, um, good, positive energy. I'm not trying to overdo it. I'm not trying yeah. to overwork it. I'm not trying to, you know, sell snake oil here. So, <laughs> um, I think that's my primary focus to just keep the energy towards that. Yeah. And building and manifesting. Just that forward momentum. That's all you can do. Yeah. That's all you can do. Well, I think this is it. For for now, for now, this isn't it. This is. Well, I mean, it's not it. You know, I think. We're... <laughs> I mean, this is our first episode. There was a, there's a podcast that I listened to, and it was like the year, the last one of the year, because they only do one a month. Yeah. And he, there, he's at the end of the podcast, and he goes, "Well, I've got an announcement. This is the last episode of this podcast." He holds it for like five seconds, and then goes, "This year." I was like, oh, man, <laughs> scared me. You know, but this is our episode of Throw Champagne, series, season two, the podcast, hosted by Thomas Masquai, executive produced by Tyler Golly, and music by Chris Wagner. We have so much coming this season. Stay tuned.